Rick William is one of the most profound human beings I've ever met. His work or his way to articulate complex parts of the psyche, the mind, and around trauma is really unparalleled. And the guy is all about freedom. I just love it. I love his vibe. I love the show. I love the, the interaction we had. We, we dived into super deep conversations, philosophical conversations about enlightenment, about the psyche, about the science around trauma. Um, so this episode has so much to give and um, I'm so excited to present it to you and to show it to you. So welcome, Rick William, and um, enjoy the show. Rick, I'm super excited to, to have you on here today and uh, have this opportunity to talk to you. It's actually quite funny. We were, uh, just to give a bit of an introduction, we were meeting pretty much the beginning of my entrepreneurial journey at a conference, entrepreneur conference in London. When was that? It was uh, almost 10 years ago or something. Yeah, it's got to be like 2013, 2014. Yeah, something like that. I mean, I was definitely, how we say in German, green behind my ears. <laughs> so, uh, and then randomly we bumped into another conference just a few months ago. And we had such a beautiful breakfast conversation. So we just thought we're going to continue this and bring it up here. So that's a quick introduction to that. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing, I'm doing really good, brother. It's, uh, it's good to be here with you again. It was really interesting that we that our, that our paths crossed again just two months ago when we were in jordan and being really beautiful to see your growth and transformation you know both in terms of what you were sharing what you've done with your life but also just you know energetically like i could feel you were a you're a different human being you clearly being on a big journey uh both in terms of your external life in terms of your internal life since that point so it was uh, beautiful to re-meet again as our paths crossed Absolutely. I mean, I can just say the same. It was uh, just such a great energy. We did some um, some proper sauna breathwork sessions as well together with our friend Niraj, and uh, it was it was really good time there. Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. So yeah, um, how I'd like to maybe start is what I always um, think a lot about is what is what are the stories, what are the constant thought patterns if we have them that we kind of have in our day-to-day -day life because i think that's the way we our reality is shaped around us so i'm curious if you have one what's your mantra right now mm. that's a really great question and, and i and i do feel our thoughts shape our reality you know our beliefs shape our reality right however i think there's a deeper part for me what, what i've been doing recently like as opposed to just working with mantras i've been working with very specific words whilst getting my nervous system into a state that matches that word that matches that vibration so like there's a difference between like an affirmation and then there's a difference between like encoding that affirmation in your nervous system because what actually lands like if we think of any of our memories that we can remember whether they be good or bad generally they have a strong emotional charge to them you know if we all think of where were you on september 9 11 everyone knows generally where they were at that time why is that because it had a strong emotional charge which we all felt collectively 
we could say like, what was your most positive memory? Now, I intentionally have focused on learning what my positive memory was so I can remember that. But some people may or may not be able to think of their most positive memory. If you focused on it, you could. But you could probably definitely think of your most challenging memories. Most people really focus on those because that's what helps protect us, right? When we focus and almost get kind of slightly neurotic on the pain that is caused in our life because we want to prevent ourselves from feeling that pain in the future. Ironically, we often end up recreating it by focusing on it so much, which is a lot of a lot of the great spiritual teachers say, you know, like what we focus on, we get more of. So what I do is, in, the reason that I'm sharing that point is because it is emotion that encodes memory. So I take specific words that I'm working with at that time or specific words or phrases or beliefs, and then I encode them into my nervous system with high emotion that matches that word. Okay. So some of the things that I'm working with right now, for example, might be well, one that I was doing frequently about two or three months ago was like, I am free. Mm. Like I am free. And I was tuning in simultaneously to that vibration that I had felt in my body through many different transcendental experiences where I felt completely free. So I was reattuning to the somatic sensation of what freedom in its maximum capacity has felt for me. Now, we will all have that, like based on our experience, our life, our spiritual experiences, the work that we've done, we will all have an experience of what the maximum amount of freedom feels like. And then I use that word and then tap into that in my body. And it's almost like with each time I say it, I'm like building the charge of like, I am free. I am free. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 I'm getting back into that state. So it's encoding it within my body. And it's almost like that, that just has an effect. It, like it, it actually has an effect on how I'm feeling. And I notice that my state changes the more that I do that. I'm yeah. curious what, what your thoughts are on that. And that's, that's, I mean, it's, it's similar process that I'm doing to be honest. And I, and I like it a lot. I mean, many people like where spiritual teacher talk about this, like it's not just the words, it's actually the emotion as you just uh, pointed out. For me, it's a lot. What I work a lot with uh, heart coherence. I try to put myself into this heart coherence state, and uh, yeah, pure feeling of bliss and gratitude. That's what I work with, and I connect mm. actually with it. Like life is amazing. That's kind of living my mantra. But mm. yes, I do intuitively more or less the same thing than you do to just bring myself in that emotional state. And um, and I'm curious though. How are you doing it? Are you setting anchors when you're like when you're feeling this freedom, this this, this amazing state of freedom, and you intentionally say that, or you like, and, and how often do you do this practice? I think that's that's very like I'm cutting through the chase. I'm going straight in, but I'm mm-hmm. uh, I'm curious. Yeah. So every day I have I have mostly visual anchors that I work with but I work with them so frequently that I can access them really quickly. So every day I actually focus. Firstly, I focus on my three most positive memories that I've ever had in my life. So I run through those and sometimes they change out. I don't always keep them the same, but generally I run through three of the most positive memories that I have in my life. And I, I just attune to those. They bring up a certain feeling of the kind of evoke gratitude and appreciation and love and care and safety. And then from that space, I move into a specific state that I'm trying to feel. And often I'm tapping back into just the most authentically me and the most free that I've ever felt, like the most empowered and the most free that I've ever felt. And there's a specific experience that I've had where I felt that. And I just use the visual of being back in that scenario 
And then I visualize myself being there now. And when I do that, the somatic sensations of that experience move through my body as if I were in that state of being right now. So it's almost like that the memory is the anchor that I'm calling on, which then re-evokes the state within my body. Just like often when we think about something that's been challenging in our past, whether that be an ex-girlfriend, a breakup, a loss, a death, a trauma, often when we think about it, it brings that state back up and we feel anxiety or depression or sadness or despair or shame or guilt or whatever it might be. The memory itself can bring the state of being the somatic sensations the, into the body. And because I'm so aware, you know, trauma is one of the things that I you know, deeply study and I you know, certified as a trauma-informed coach and many different different healing and somatic modalities. So I'm very interested in trauma. But what interests me most about it is that we can actually access the opposite by using the same methodology that we actually get into our traumatic states. We can reverse engineer it to choosing how we want to feel and experience. Now, I'm not saying, I'm not saying that we should bypass our trauma by doing this, but we want to work, you know, there's this balance that we've got to create of doing the work you know, internally and addressing our trauma and pain, but we'd also don't want to get lost there. Otherwise you end up in kind of this repeating emotional state. We do want to create the state and create the experiences that we want to create in our life without bypassing. It's just like yin and yang, masculine, feminine, outward, inward balance. Is there, I was just curious, is there actually like, I mean, basically what you're doing is you're anchoring the positive in the same way that trauma is automatically anchored into our nervous system. Is there a word for this? Like, is there, is there a what? Is there an opposite word for than, than trauma? Like for the positive? Freedom? 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 Okay. Maybe. I don't know. I'm not, I'm, it's, a, it's a great, it's a great question. the word. <laughs> What's the opposite of trauma? It feels like freedom. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. That's beautiful. It's beautiful. And that's pretty much also your work, no? It's that you work a lot with, with entrepreneurs like, uh, and doing that. Like, do you want to elaborate a little bit on that? I'm curious. Yeah, that's predominantly the people that I'm working with are high-level executives and entrepreneurs. And yeah, like I, I help them get free. You know, often many people have figured out how to get free financially. And that's kind of the first mountain, right? If we look at Maslow's hierarchy of needs, we want to create freedom in our life so that we feel physiologically safe. However, physiological safety doesn't necessarily create psychological fulfillment. And psychological nourishment. We don't often feel we can we can have an immense amount of safety. In fact, you can have millions, multi-millions, and billions and still feel like you're unfulfilled, that you're not connected, that you're not loved. So generally the people that I work with are high-level people who figured out how to create financial freedom and safety in their life. And because I spend such a huge amount of time learning how to get free internally. And it's just a skill set, just like you learn an entrepreneurial skill set. Like I just put an enormous amount of hours and time and investment into learning how to get free internally. I actually sacrificed intentionally time building business and external wealth to go and do that. When I was 25, you know, I had a, a kind of choice point moment where I had to come back from the States. My business was up for sale at that time for a seven-figure sum. And I had the choice point where I had to like choose to go back and recreate that business because something went wrong and it would take at least two years to get it back to the same valuation. And it's just business. These things happen. And I made the choice point that like, actually my freedom was more important. Like getting free internally was more important to me. Now that's not the case for everyone, 
But for me, that was a that was a choice that I had to make. It was a hard choice because I'd spent five years building that business and there were many people linked to it. But getting free internally and now helping other people get internally free is way more interesting to me. I think external freedom is beautiful. Absolutely. Like we want to create external freedom. We want to create communities. We want to use our wealth to do beautiful things in the world and connect each other and build solutions for problems that we face. Essentially, I help entrepreneurs bridge that gap because I just spent a lot of fucking time doing it. Just like we could learn, we spend a lot of time learning anything. It could be an instrument. It could be uh, learning how to build business. It could be learning how to, you know, actually create a business and you got acquisition, you got marketing and, you know, product and all these different things that we learn when we're creating a business. It's just a skill set. And it's the same with the internal work. You know, when you've gone and worked with 10 different therapists and you've trained in different multi-modalities and you just start to learn and find the patterns of what works and what doesn't. And then you apply that to yourself and you create an internal life that feels rich, then it's very easy to help people on that same journey. You know, just like we could mentor someone in business and you see them at the beginning of your business journey and you're like, oh, like you're just at that point. Okay, cool. Like you just need to make this tweak here, this tweak that, you know, that'll get you to the next day. Agreed. Yeah. Makes sense. Yeah, it's, a, it's a beautiful journey. I mean, I, I spend also a tremendous amount of hours on, on that. Maybe not, I, would, I wouldn't have even called it like internal freedom for myself, but I think it's just, it's just a natural curiosity, like meditating hours and hours and, and, and working on it, doing shadow work. And, and that's, uh, it's a beautiful and very enriching journey, but sometimes a really tough one. As a, I mean, <laughs> it's, a definitely, it's a deep journey. I'm curious, what led you to this journey? Pain. Okay. Yeah. And like you, it's like, I was suffering, you know, I'd, I'd created a life that I thought was going to create happiness and fulfillment. And I spent an enormous amount of hours, 60, 70 hours a week as an entrepreneur doing that. And I realized that I built that life because it was essentially to appease and please others, but it was unconscious. It was completely unconscious. Mm-hmm. And it just felt very empty. I wasn't really creating life and on my terms. I wasn't aligning it with my values and who I am as a human being. And it just felt empty. So I had to deal with the pain of that. I had to feel the pain of that, of the life that I created. And then I had to figure out how to undo all of that to create the life that I wanted to create. So it was really just coming from pain. You know, it was like, you know, it was just the pain of living that and then trying to figure out, okay, like how do I figure this life thing out? How do I create a life that is authentic and true to me and my heart? And I've followed that ever since. And every time I did that and I made choices that were in alignment with my heart, my life got better. Every time I did that, my life got better. My friendships got better. My relationships got better. You know, the people that I was attracted to, the partners that I would attract got better every single time that I did that. And I've just continued to do that. And I continue to do that to this day. And yeah, essentially that's it. It's just, yeah, it's just, it's just an ongoing journey of, you know, and, but essentially coming from initially coming from pain. Yeah. Got it. Got it. And our initial conversation, we talked a lot also about the different modalities you're using, uh, working with your clients and you're quite advanced also in terms of like using technology into your practice. And I think that's also a lot of what, what interests a lot of people who, who listen to this. You work with basically um, neurofeedback and, uh, Like, do you want to elaborate on that? I'm very curious to kind of 
get your insights on it, what you've found, what works best, what, what different tools are out there, and just to give a bit of an overview. Yeah, no, that's a great question. Especially with there's so many tools. Yeah. Yeah, no, there's, there's so many tools. And, and that's how I see them. Like, there's a multitude of tools we can use from psychedelic therapies to somatic therapies to NLP to hypnosis to breath work to coaching and deep inquiry and conversation and talk therapy. And this, these are all just tools. The way that I see them is they're just tools. Yes. Now, the most effective way to approach any problem, like in business, is that if we approach it from multiple angles, so it's called multimodality. So the best way to approach any problem in healing, from my experience, what I've found is when I approach it from multiple angles, it like chips away, I get to see new perspective, understand it from a new angle. And that actually creates a, a more effective solution. It's holistic. Yeah. So that's how I approach my clients. And the way that we use technology, which to answer your question, was that neurofeedback is one of the tools which has been, you know, deeply proven in terms of increasing focus and mood since about the 1950s. It's been widely studied and it's just an incredible tool that we get to bring into my practice at this time because we have the technology available and accessible that can be shipped out to a client and they can be doing at-home neurofeedback to work alongside coaching and somatic work and so on and so forth. So it's just another tool that helps some clients, especially high performance clients that want to be able to tap into, say, deeper levels of focus so that they can improve their performance or they want to improve their sleep or they want to improve their mood and emotional regulation because it does increase. If you can increase your attention, then your ability to make more effective decisions naturally increases. So it's just one of the tools that I bring in. It's just yeah. super cool that we get to. How, how do you choose actually the tools you, you're applying for your clients? Or you what do you mean? How do you decide, okay, now I'm choosing this tool, I'm choosing this tool. Like what's your decision-making basis matrix? My decision will be based on what that client says they want. So whatever it is that they're working on, you know, just like someone may come into your home with a toolbox and you are like, okay, I need the light fix. Well, you say, okay, well, I'll get the screwdriver out and I get the step out of that and I'm going to go fix the light bulb. Yeah. And so someone comes and they say that they're, you know, wanting to, you know, improve their relationship, but they're, they're noticed that they're emotionally dysregulated and they're losing their temper and they're not able to stay present with their partner. They're getting triggered when they're in that scenario and it's causing a lot of distress and disconnection as it naturally does. Then it's like, okay, well, how do we address that? Well, first of all, the reason that you're getting triggered is because something is happening inside of you based on your past experiences that is making you feel unsafe. So we've got to go address that at the root, like what's actually happening there in the root in your body and your nervous system that is making these words that you're hearing and interpreting feeling like the source of danger to you to the point where you're not able to receive that in a way that is coherent and useful for your life. So let's address it there. And that might be with somatic work. You know, we can actually get deep into where that is coming from within the body. We can have someone train how to work with their nervous system because it's not just about feeling happy and free and I'm all for feeling happy and free, but it's also being able to deal with the challenging emotions as they arise. And there's a technique that I use, which comes out of polyvagal theory that has a client essentially learn how to connect to themselves in safety and connection and love. And then intentionally, I have all of my clients, literally 100% of them do this because it's that good. Intentionally, go into feelings of disconnection, meaning that could be like depression and isolation, 
And then I have them go to the other side of disconnection, which is actually in a space of activation in the sympathetic nervous system. That's where anger and stress lives. And then come back to connection. Because once your nervous system can learn to be with these uncomfortable emotions and come back into connection, your mind and body learns that feeling those things is safe. Yeah, you basically make it aware. This is the spectrum. This is how it feels then. This is how it feels then with, with, with an aware mind. I think usually we are not aware when we're switching to uh, a trauma response or not aware that we're triggered. Exactly. That's it. Does. That's it. Yeah, that's it. So once you can have someone do that and feel safe enough to be in discomfort, it's like when we were, you know, breathing in the sauna, it's not comfortable, right? You know, the first time someone does that, they might be a little bit scared. They might think they're going to pass out. But once you've done something that's challenging, whether it be a hot sauna or a temescal or an ice bath, and you can learn that your body can actually do this and be safe, the next time you go do it, you feel way safe in doing it. It could be jumping off a cliff. It could be lifting some really heavy weights. It could be jumping out of an airplane. Once your body learns that it's safe to do that, you're able to go do it with more presence the next time you do it. Mm. You know, your fear centers aren't as switch on you you can be more aware more present and it's the same with our emotions as well it's like a lot of people just you know are really uncomfortable feeling despair or sadness or feeling like they're alone or feeling like they're unloved or unwanted or rejected or you know any of these things but we've you know we've, we've run from them for so long that they become terrifying to feel yeah and when you can go feel them then you set yourself free it's like you know, the, I love the idea that any any feeling fully felt is freedom. Yes, I mean it still still will continue to trigger you, but I think that the response or the the react the, the time, I think that's how I see it, and I mean, I'm sure see your point opinion. If you get, you still might get triggered, but the time that you become aware and act like basically don't react or stop your reaction from happening, like from the trigger event. This time just shrinks down. And ideally, you can do it in your head, like immediately or very within seconds. That's how I see a lot, isn't it? I, yeah, I agree. That, so, so for me, it happens two ways. One, it either happens that way where I just reduce the, so the three things, the, the metrics that I tell my clients to look for, because it's easy to look for metrics when we're in business. You know, we can look at our KPIs or the same thing when we're training in the gym. It's very easy to track that. Yeah. Super easy. However, when we're healing, we're doing internal work. How do you track that? Well, pretty easy also, but it's somewhat, you, you've got to just be more aware as you do this. So it's pretty easy to track it internally. So the three ways that we can track that is, are you reducing the intensity? Mm. Are you reducing the frequency? And are you reducing the duration? So are you reducing the time, frequency, and duration of that trigger? So that's one way that we know that we're moving forward and that we're healing that we're becoming more free. The other way is that it just doesn't happen anymore. It doesn't always have to just be a reduction. When we actually heal something at the root, it's gone. Yeah. It's gone. No longer happens. It's not in our psyche anymore. It's actually healed. That's, that's true healing is when it's gone. You forget about it. In fact, when you have to revisit it, it's like, oh, fuck, like I did used to do that. Huh. Right. Interesting. I completely forgot about it. That's to me what true healing feels like. It feels like you completely forget because it's just gone out of your consciousness. It's just not something you experience anymore. Yeah, true, true, actually. Yeah, that's just... Have you had that experience? Have you, have you had an experience where you used to act in a certain way and it doesn't happen? Anymore? I mean, what usually triggers trigger me a lot was uh, relationships. I mean, once I get into a pattern with that partner, 
I mean, usually relationships are like you're mirroring each other at one point or in one area. And there's, there's something I didn't like. And I just got triggered a lot, a lot. And for example, when I want to go, I'm very, I, I try to be very punctual when, when I decide, hey, this is, this is it. <laughs> like we have your meeting, let's go. But usually that's not always the, like if, if there's two of you, so you kind of need to, need to adapt. And then I got triggered because we were late, not because of me, but, you know, and I just needed to do, um, that triggered me basically. And I just needed to, to, to understand, well, this is, this is how, how my partner works in that, in that area. And, and I just need to adapt to this and to basically not get triggered. That took me quite a bit. And I think I'm still getting slightly triggered, to be honest, if I'm in similar situations. I haven't been in a situation like this in a while. But um, the, the, like, as you said, your metrics, they just shrink down a lot. And I, I cannot think of a concrete example, but I'm pretty sure there was, there was definitely things where, which just stopped appearing in my life. And true, uh, yeah, this is actually... Yeah, you, and man, I still get triggered, just to be clear. I still get triggered, yeah. but it's, I, just mean, I just mean that it's not we can heal from things. We can let things yes. go. And then new, new triggers arise. We learn, we learn like I, I begin to see, Oh, okay. I'm not free in this area. You know, recently yeah. I've had some dreams come up, which have showed me some areas where there's still some work to do. And, you know, I'm in a new relationship at this time. And, you know, there's some areas there where I'm noticing some more subtle triggers. They're very subtle. They're not like hard triggers that would like have me react that's also another thing. If you, I feel like if you once resolve a trigger, then whatever is beyond or underlying comes out because that's the, that's the most significant. Have you had that? What do you mean by that? Like you resolve the bigger trigger because you, you put all your attention on this trigger, but then smaller things that just make you, it's not even, you don't even react, but it just make you a little bit more nervous, a little bit more uncomfortable. Attention can freeze up and you, you you shift to them. Like, have you had that? Meaning, like that the the big trigger is gone, and then other triggers that are smaller kind of begin appear. to appear in that space. Exactly. Yeah, I think that's where I, that's where it's at right now. It's it's just it's more subtle. And yes. the truth is, at this point, like I could probably just completely deal with that. Like I like it's at a, it feels like it's at a level now where it's like it's completely manageable. Like yeah, I could I could stop probably stop doing the inner work and live a very comfortable life in terms of my relationships. Yes. I don't want to do that because I love this work and I'm always, I, I always want to be more free in a healthy way. Not like I'm obsessing on it, but it's just like, Oh, okay. Like that's there. That's creating a level of disconnection within myself, which is creating a level of disconnection between me and my partner or a friend. And I have the skill sets or the resources to be able to go work with people to help uncover that so that I can feel more connected in my relationships and to myself. That's really it. Yes. Do you think there's a place where you have no trigger at all? As in like, does, does that exist? Is it for a human being? Yeah. Well, I think like any of the humans who have achieved, you know, absolute internal freedom or enlightenment, or they've just got, completely free of mind then from that space i'd imagine it, i would imagine that but i you know i've not experienced a person who is living in that state and i'm not even sure it's my i don't know if it's my path or my dharma in this life to live into that but maybe more just to accept my and love my humanity um, but i guess it would be possible it's like you know it does seem like 
Could you heal all of your wounds and be free? Do I believe that? Yes, I believe that's possible. Yes. No, no, I agree. Um, and uh, I think that's that's enlightenment, basically. When I'm like, but now when we are having this, okay, this is enlightenment, where does presence play into this trauma trigger work? Mm. Because that's I think great. these people, they are in the, the absolute present. They're absolute, in the absolute here now. So do you actually have, like, is this, is this another way or another tool as you described it to circumvent triggers or heal or become free? Mm. Well, if we look at, if we take Butter for an example and the passion, what is he doing there? He's sitting in absolute presence with the sensations that were in his body. That, that's how Butter to the best of our knowledge, got free. So he was burning off karma. I think that's the way that, the way they talk about it, which is allowing the, the sensations, the somatic sensations released from the body. So he is working with the body. He's using presence and the sensations of the body to get free. So that's combining the two together. Right. And that's what I do think presence is an important factor in creating internal freedom. And if we look at what, for example, Dr. Gabo Mata says, Maybe Bessel van der Kolk. I could be misquoting here. But trauma is an illness of not living alive in the present moment. So trauma is an illness of not living alive in the present moment. I think that's so true. It's like when I'm actually here right now, the experience from the past aren't interfering with my connection with you right now. I can be fully with you. I can be fully in my heart, my strength, my power, my love. Whatever is needed in this moment, I can be here. Versus pulling in experiences that might be saying that flow is unsafe, that this situation is unsafe. Therefore, my nervous system, either consciously or unconsciously, is on guard, preventing me from really being open and free in this moment. Yes, yes. That makes sense. It's beautiful. Which is also why the more we heal, the more, the more present we get. That's been my experience too. The, the more healing work I've done, the more internal work I've done, the more present I feel in the present moment. Why? Because my nervous system feels safe to be here now. I'm not as concerned with threats and danger from the past because they have either moved out of my body or I have reconciled those and let those go to the point where my nervous system feels safe in this moment. More and more, more and more, more and more. And that's the beauty of this type of work, somatic work, working with our nervous system, And I definitely recommend anyone to look at polyvagal theory. He's listening. It's incredible. Stephen Porges and Deb Danner have done an incredible amount of research on the nervous system and how it works. You know, really getting a grasp and understanding of that was one of the great tools that I've learned in the last couple of years. Really, really helpful to understand how the nervous system works, how to regulate the nervous system. And it links in, like, if you're already walking this path and you're learning about, you know, different types of breath work and you're learning about different healing modalities, learning about how the nervous system works kind of puts really practical language to all of these different healing modalities. It's like, oh, it's like, okay, like that's how breath works working. That's how pranayama is working. That's how this healing modality is working. And it just like, it was like, ah, like I really got to see how other things work and what works well based on the understanding of the, the deeper, my understanding of the nervous system, the deeper of my understanding of all of the healing modalities has kind of happened. It's like one of those, Interlinks. What's the book people should look up um, about polyvagal theory? The number one. The book easiest book. To, the easiest book to read. Yeah. Would be called Anchored by Deb Dana, which is one of Stephen Porges' okay. students and partners. 
that's the easiest book to read. That is like, there's a lot of science within that, but there's also a lot of practical tools and it's very readable. You could probably get through it in a couple of days. Okay, cool. We're going to add it in the show notes. Nice. Really, really. Personally, I approached this whole journey much more from a, from a level of intuition. I feel almost, mm. if I just think back about my journey, yes, I did a lot of work and I, and I think I dabbled in a lot into like even doing breath work a lot, uh, doing a lot of meditations, but I think it was mostly intuition and very long sitting or meditation sessions which I still keep up doing. And that's why I was curious about the presence because I feel like, and yeah, as you said, I also, my, my presence or my sitting, there's, I mean, I'm intuitively looking at to what am I feeling? What is my, what does my system feel? What, how do I feel right now? And I'm checking in. And only if I am capable of living these feelings, I can actually go to a deeper state of meditation. So for me, it was always like, okay, well, if there's feelings, I cannot go deep enough. So first I need to take care of my feelings. And then I went into deeper states. And sometimes I use breath work, sometimes some, some, some deep stretches, sometimes like different, different practices, basically. And sometimes just sports to, 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 get, to get into this. But yeah, that's, that's how I would say I approached it. Yeah. And what, motivate, what motivated you to get into this work? Very good question. I feel I just have an inner... I mean, probably somewhere, yes, there was definitely a pain. There was definitely something I... A pain that triggered me to constantly improve, constantly get better. And every time I found a way to improve, be it business, be it life, be it personality, be it a lot of different things, I got curious. and I like studied it and applied it. So yes, there was a pain, there was a trauma. And that combined with a, I'd say, scientific mind. I'm not sure if you're aware, I, I studied physics. So I'm actually by education a scientist. So I have this scientific approach to, to, to a lot of, lot of this work and a lot of the, even the spiritual work or spirituality and, I'm, and how the mind works. And I'm just, testing and trying out different things and i keep a journal okay this is what i did today i did whatever half an hour this type of meditation half an hour this type of meditation and it was then i think this career this initial pain which triggered me to go on this journey combined with the insane curiosity i feel mm. i think it's the best way to learn anything is you know uh the motive whatever the motivating force is plus curiosity i think is only going to take us to, it's only taken me into beautiful places, so it's, it's beautiful to hear that it's uh, it's developed from for that for you to get you to this part where you're at today. Beautiful. Yeah, yeah. Curiosity is what what drives us ultimately. I feel like this is the ultimate drive for for everything. I feel, and um, since you're working a lot with this, how what's your definition? Probably the definitions out there. I haven't looked it up before that. But what's your definition of emotional intelligence? My personal definition. Yes in a very practical sense, is my ability to be able to be aware of my internal state while simultaneously being aware of the contextual situation that I'm in so that I can understand what is the most useful way to bring myself to that moment. 
That's not a very, wow. not a very uh, definitive definition, but I think that's what's happening. It's like, where am I? Who yes. am I with? What is the most useful expression that exists within me to bring fault in this moment with this individual so that we can have the most coherence and connection and ultimately head in a direction that is good for both of us? I guess that would be one factor of what would be a benefit of having higher emotional intelligence. But I think there's so many different factors. It's like, it's kind of like asking what are the benefits of intellectual intelligence? Yes. Well, it, it would apply across the board to be able to solve problems. I think emotional intelligence allows me to have more connection with to myself. What, is. What, do you, what does play being able to change your state at will into your definition? Uh, I don't know what under my definition, but it would, it would definitely be a factor of emotional intelligence is to be able to change your state relative to the situation that you're in. Yes. Because yes. if you're bringing a state of excitement to another human being that isn't in any near coherence to that state of excitement, then you're probably going to create disconnection and not have a positive experience for either of you. So it would just be an unuseful state for that specific context. Whereas if you're at a birthday party or surprising a loved one, the state of excitement would probably be very useful. It'd probably make it a better experience for you and the other. Therefore, you would have positive results. So I think the intelligence piece of it is like, do your actions create positive results for yourself and others? And can you choose the state that you're going to bring to that scenario that's going to increase your probability of having the outcomes that you want and that also benefit others? Yeah, yeah. What's the quickest hack to get more emotional intelligence, in your opinion? What do you teach uh, around that? Mm -hmm. Well, like anything, we can only have a relationship to others based on the level of depth and relationship that we've had to ourselves. The more empathy that I have for myself, my pain, my beauty, my brilliance, the more that I'm able to have that for you. I can, I can see that in the other because I have that connection to myself. So... I think having an incredibly rich inner world allows you to have incredibly rich connections with other people. And I think that's the benefit of the, other, the inner work. The real benefit of doing the inner work for me is actually having better connections with other people. I think what's essential is that really what we're trying to do is to get our self-love higher than our need to be loved by others. Because when your self-love is higher than your need to be loved by others, That allows you to actually show up and be truthful and honest and authentic, and you actually have something to give. Yes, I see. I, I agree. I totally. I mean, that's the universal problem. How much you fucking love yourself? <laughs> that's like, I mean, we, we all lack that to some degree, I would say. Yeah, because it comes back into our core wounds. You know, if we look at the core wounds of a human being, it's not being loved, you know, being abandoned or not being accepted for who we truly are. So we shut that down. And underneath those two fears, they're psychological. The reason that we have those fears is because if you're abandoned, you die. If you're not accepted by the group, you don't reproduce. So essentially underneath those two psychological fears is annihilation, meaning that you don't get to reproduce or you die, which is why we're afraid of being abandoned, which is why we're afraid of being ourselves. And that's why doing the inner work and being yourself is literally the most courageous act that you can make as a human being. 
the most courageous act. Hundred percent, agree. Because you're facing the fear of annihilation. Being yourself, you're facing the fear of annihilation. Loving yourself and being honest in a conversation with a lover or with a friend that may make that person not like you because you're just being truthful in a way that's considerate, of course, may make that person leave you because、yes. they have the choice to do that. So to actually have honest, truthful. Connected conversations requires requires us to love ourselves and requires us to face those two greatest human fears and essentially confront our fear of annihilation. Yeah, beautifully put. Hundred percent makes totally sense. Wow, <laughs> that actually funnily came to me in a dream. I've been thinking of that idea for some time. But there was a piece missing that actually came to me in a dream last week. It's just interesting that that happened. <laughs> I'd, I'd missed out the annihilation piece. I would frequently talk about the two human fears of of being abandoned and being truly be ourselves, and I didn't articulate or put enough emphasis or enough thought into where they're really coming from. And I was like, ah, in my dream, it showed me through symbolic representation that underneath those was the fear of annihilation. Yeah. Not just death, but annihilation, meaning that it could be death or not being able to reproduce. Yeah, I mean, ceasing to exist. Ah,、uh, ceasing to exist. Yeah, exist. That's it. That's a straightforward. I mean, that's、uh, the number one. Like we, we, like why we are here. I feel like there's all this constant drive to continue to exist. That's that's.、Mm. Really, I feel like life. When I was um. When、I was still studying. I was、uh, looking at life, and、um, I was looking at what life actually is. And there's some definitions on life, and there, yeah, I mean, scientific community is quite unisense on that. But there is、uh, there is some physicists who go deeper and think about what it is, and it's like. Like even Schrödinger wrote a book. Evan Schrödinger, the guy from、uh, Schrödinger's Cat, he wrote a book about. What is life actually? And he was talking about that. Basically, it looks like if in, in physics you have always. Let me kind of <laughs> pull a bit back and just give a bit of, bit of a bigger picture. In physics, you have like the second law of thermodynamics, which is basically saying that everything moves toward a state of higher unorder, more chaos. Everything in the universe. So, if you leave your room for like a couple of weeks, there's more unorder. There's more dust there. But if you leave it for a thousand years, the house falls down. There's more unorder. But if you look at life, life seemingly does the opposite. Uh, uh. It creates more order. Like a tree becomes a forest. There's so much more more order. And even like human life, in a way, we tend like the intellect. We're trying to create more order. And it seems like it's the opposite. So I had this idea when, like, probably like fifteen years ago or so, and I was like, hey, "What is it? It doesn't really make any sense. It doesn't add up. Nobody's talking about."、It. So I was researching it, and I came across this book from Schrödinger, "What Is Life," and he basically diminished this idea and said, "Yes, we basically absorb negative entropy, how he calls it, from the sun." And that's just a bubble of more. It's basically like a conservator of this negative entropy. That's what life is. That's how he. I still don't find it very satisfying, 
And I feel like this is also why a lot of us have this drive to even sustain beyond that. And maybe that's possible for life to stay sustain beyond like an energy source of like the sun or so. But um, this is a little bit how physics looks at, at what life is. And it's very, very interesting to see like this, this drive of, 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 of sustaining within all of us and see it also zoomed out in this grand scheme. Yeah. Just a little bit of. Mm, that's fascinating. I love that. I love that idea. Uh, so what was, can you just recap on what Schrodinger's kind of final perspective was on that? I didn't quite understand. So basically his perspective is the second law of thermodynamics that everything in the universe tends to go towards more entropy, 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 more entropy. Uh-huh. is Which still is solid. It's a law. It's like we only observe that. That's it. There's, no, like, it's, it's, another, it's like another way of saying we're moving towards death. We're moving in towards a way, In a way. And it's kind of, I don't like it from a beauty aspect of it, but that's what kind of physics observe. Like if I have a cup here and I let it fall, we all know what happens. It's just like goes apart and, and, and there's more entropy. Mm-hmm. If we have, I think this, yeah. isn't there two ways of looking at it? Because there's two, in terms of from a spiritual perspective, there's the, there's the totality and then there's, there's the everythingness and then there's the nothingness. Is he not just looking at it from the nothingness perspective, as in everything is dying? Because the other perspective is everything is living. And I think actually what is more true, and because the brain likes to hold things in binary ones and zeros, Mm-hmm. I think the truth is that it's both. It is living and dying. That is life. Yes. From a spiritual side, yes. But even from a physics side, it is living and dying. The tree, I'm, I'm you know, here in Costa Rica and surrounded by jungle, the tree is living and dying. You know, it will, As it is going time. into more, it is going into more order, but, you know, leaves are falling and then it continues to grow more and then a branch falls and then, so on and so forth. So it's, it's in both a phase of entropy, but it's also in a phase of life. It is life and death. If we look at a human being, it is, you know, masculine and feminine. It, we are living and dying. We are this balance between two energies. Yeah. That feels more true for me. And then, and then I can hold the beauty of life, which is beautiful. And then I can hold the beauty of death. But if I look at infinite life, I'm like, Ooh, you kind of lose the juice of life. If I look in, if I just look at death, I'm like, no, oh, you kind of lose the beauty of life. And for me, it's always the combination of those two. I just, I love how my mind always likes to go to absolutes. It wants to go to that's, some binary answer so that it feels that's safe. That's the physics approach always. You go to the, to the, to the, to the, basically to the extremes. Mm. That's how, that's how you always approach. This is the, I feel like this is the, this is how science approaches things. Like borders, you, you, you go to extremes basically. And then you see how things look there. But it's not true. It's not true. <laughs> yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. Makes very sense. And I, and I like this approach. I mean, it's also much more like the, like the Taoist approach of seeing the universe as one organism that is constantly evolving and moving. And there's always, yeah, there's no, no binary. There's just like an interconnection of, 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 of everything. And um, that feels more true. That feels more true to me too. Yes. Exactly. Beautiful. Beautiful, man. Awesome. What a beautiful conversation. <laughs> yeah, brother. Yeah, brother. Um, amazing catch up. Amazing reconnection. 
And um, yeah, thank you. Do you wanna do you wanna share with the audience where they can find more about your work, where they can find more about you, and what you're up to, and 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 what tools you're using, and uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, first, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity to you know connect with you today, connect here with you today. Thank you for the opportunity, and thank you for everyone listening. You know, um, you know, for we're all walking the path together, and the fact that you're here listening to me says that you're also a fellow walker of the path. So it's 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 great to get to share with you. And if you'd like to come and connect with me, the best platform for that is probably Instagram. So my Instagram is at I am Rick William. But also if you'd be interested in some of the stuff I said about the nervous system, I have a bunch of free resources, kind of nervous system exercises that can be done at home. There's one called total morning activation. And there's also one called total resilience, which is essentially a resilience exercise. If you remember before I was talking about being able to feel those states of discomfort and come back into connection, that is a, an exercise that I have available as a free resource on my website. There's a bunch of other stuff on that too. And that's www.rickwilliam.com. And you can find all of that there. But um, if something has been valuable to, to you within this episode and you'd like to start a conversation, um, you know, feel free to drop into my DMs. You know, I'm always open to connect and converse with, uh, with all you guys. So Beautiful, beautiful. Yeah, we put all that also in the show notes. Any last words you want to share? Any last thoughts? Just, just thank you, brother. Thank you to having me on and thank you for just a beautiful conversation. You know, appreciate it. That's intention, man. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Appreciate it as well. <laughs> thank you, man. Mm -hmm. Beautiful.